Good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. The comment lines are open if you want to get through to us today. On the programme, we're looking at water safety and that unfortunate incident in Roscommon. Today, also, we're looking at uh, the difficulties with trading outside with weather like this. Also, today, Adam Harris joins us. We're looking at As I Am. And also, Owen Mord was uh, rightfully given a wonderful mural reception to be on my cupboard. We're looking at that. Also, shovels in the ground in tune they've began this morning. We're looking at short-term lettings. And also, we're looking at men's health. We're looking also at the Geopark uh, project and a major conference taking place this week, and you can get involved in that. Defibrillators today, the importance of them following that sporting event over the weekend. John Middleton joins us from uh, Hedford. And we look at gigs coming back to the Town Hall Theatre. That is more between now and 12 midday. All of the comment lines are open if you do want to get through to us on 091-770-077-53995. And as Katie did on Thursday, Friday, and I do again all of this week, we're going to give you a chance to win uh, your full Lidl shop and be delivered to your own door, indeed, by your own personal shopper. As um, in a little, I love it as at one hour in Galway. So, great news is we've partnered up with Little Ireland and need to give away a 200 euro Little voucher to spend on the Buy Me app. So, if you haven't downloaded it just yet, you can do so on B-U-Y-M-I-E. Just go into the App Store from there and go to the Buy Me app uh, from there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, play a piece of music, a clip of music, uh, from uh, a piece of music that Alan will be playing uh, this afternoon indeed, uh, between three and five on the A-list. So when you hear him playing this piece of music uh, this afternoon on the playlist, uh, then you send in your name. You can do it to 53995 or WhatsApp us to 87 This is the key piece of music that could give you that 200 euro buy me Lidl voucher. I'm in love with the shape of you We push and pull like a magnet do Although my heart is falling too I'm in love with your body So when you hear that again uh, quite simply what you have to do quite simply will I play one more time for you? I can no, no drama there at all. When you hear that uh, again the next time between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock and uh, today with Alan Murphy on the A-list, you start texting us uh, from there and that's what you have to do. Quite simply, start texting us uh, from there. Other calls coming in too, by the way, today in relation to uh, difficulties in the le- heading towards letter frack today with roadworks. Uh, so there's a there's a problem there today. Uh, what they're doing is they are diverting indeed all of the... Um, they're diverting all of the heavy traffic and uh, there's a diversion in place in the whole um, going up through West Side and out the main Barner Road, out through Spiddle and then over and into uh, and then into uh, Clifton and the rest of North Connemara from there. Um, but anything over three and a half tonne, I'm told from there, anything at all over three and a half tonne, um, what you have to do is go out the coast road, lads. Don't go the other way. Uh, go out the coast road and take it from there. That's what you have to do. Yeah, from there. We've got a couple of letters in today too, by the way, and some of the letters that we've got in today, we will get to them during today's programme. But first off, that unfortunate incident that happened in Roscommon over the weekend. Uh, but water safety in total, in general in, indeed. Let me go to John Leach, who joins me on the line from the water safety offices here in Long Walk in Galway. John, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the programme. Uh, again, there's a... Good tri- morning, Keith. And uh, as always, a pleasure to be on air with you. And of course, this is our first day of our national... Water Safety Awareness Week, so your timing is very good in terms of having me on air with you. It's important because when I was driving home from here last evening, I saw so many people sitting and kind of lounging by the water, and then you see something as simple as a paddling pool that can cause a problem, major problem to a family. Uh, we just have to be very conscious. Adults, children, older people, everyone just needs to be very conscious. 
Yeah, very much so. With children, it's you just have to be at all times, you know, when there's water around. In fact, Minister Humphreys and O'Gorman and a lady called Amanda Cambridge who lost her three-year-old toddler on a holiday in Spain some years ago made a launch of what we call Hold the Hands. So it's a programme that's going to go into all the creches and all the preschools. But essentially, that's really what needs to be, what, what you need to do when you've got young children around. You've got to hold their hand. You've got to be supervising them at all times. And these uh, paddling pools and also these hot tubs, these hot tubs have taken off. There's huge numbers of them in the country now as a result of the COVID. A lot of people got them in. And the problem with them is uh, people don't empty them out afterwards. So then if the children can get access, get back out, they unfortunately will clamber back into them. And that's when the tragedy happens. And as we've said, this discussed before, Keith, you know, drowning is silent, so you're not going to get any warning uh, with young children. So really, uh, our advice is, you know, when you finish using your, your paddling pool, then you've, you've got to secure it. You've got to keep it away from the children. And the best thing to do is just to empty it so that they, they simply can't, uh, you know, end up in a tragic situation in, in the pools. And because the Hold the Hands program really is, is, is really, uh, that's the message. Hold their hands. You know, don't ever let them go when they're when near water. But I mean, the, the, from a young person's point of view, you know, at what age they are, I mean, the, the, there is an attraction to water, be it the paddling pool, uh, be it that hot tub, be it that larger outdoor pool that you may have bought a couple of years ago and filled for them during the warm weather. Because we had some of the warmest days in Galway over the year, over this weekend. Uh, so, but again, they'll gravitate towards the water. So, I think to have eyes and ears and just to be very careful. Not, not apportioning blame to anybody. Accidents do happen. Unfortunately, they do. And, and I think the, the key message really is, and, and we have to say it again, is just the supervision uninterrupted. Supervision is what's crucial, and you know, not allowing a situation arise where the child can can get back to, as you rightly said, any form, any water course, any waterway, be it a river, be it the lake, be it beach, whatever, you know, get distracted with your mobile phone and suddenly your child has gone back down into, into the water and maybe get, gets knocked over in the surf. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're right about it. It's, it's not just the paddling pool. It's not just the hot tubs. It's all water courses, anywhere where, the, where there's an opportunity for a child to, to get themselves into trouble. And as you know, being an island nation with all these rivers, lakes and canals and everything, we have plenty of opportunity for children to get into trouble and that's why it really is so important uh, that we have that, that, that uninterrupted um, supervision at all times and hence why we, uh, for our National um, you know, Drowning Prevention Week that, which starts today, we have this um, whole the hands project uh, mm. which is just starting uh, and it will go into all the preschools and, and all the creches and the idea is just trying to get the message across of how important water safety is. And if the children then see, can, can learn at that very early age, then they realise water is dangerous and they know that that's not a good thing to do is to go down to the water on your own. And this is the, 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 the there's been quite a, the Australians and the Germans, Americans have done quite a lot of work on this. And if you can get the message across to very young children at that age, uh, then... They, they they have it instinctively in their heads. They know that oh, I'm on my own here. This is not this is not good. I've got no hand yeah. to hold, and that basically they they come back from the water, and that's what we're trying to do now with all the young children of our nation at the moment with this program. It's it sad in a way, and I don't mean it against you, John Leach, or our Water Safety Ireland, or anything like that, but that we have to have a National Drowning Prevention Week. 
Uh, No, I think it's a good thing. It's great. I mean, it has us talking about water safety at the moment, uh, Keith, and that's really a good thing. You know, it's part of the national conversation we all need to have, and in this case, our county conversation, uh, our inter-county practice. You've got sisters in in Roscommon and other counties as well, Mayo. But I know what I would say is at least we're talking about it, and that means that the the adults, the parents, you know, of young children... Uh, can, can consider what we're saying and be aware that when they go off on, the, on their you know, holidays, because we're all, most of us are going to stay at home, you know, for the, the summer, and we will be near water. There's no question about it, be it as a beach, a river, be it a lake uh, or a swimming pool. And just at, at all times, keep such a close eye on your children. Don't let them out of your sight and literally hold their hands. And, and that's the, the message we want to really get out for, for young toddlers uh, today. And obviously, if you are going to beaches, we recommend you go to the lifeguard beaches because they really are the safest place to, to go. And you go to watersafety.ie forward slash lifeguards, then you'll, you'll see that, that we've got, a, there's almost about 135, I think it is, um, areas where you've got, that are lifeguards around the country. So no matter where you're going, whichever county it is, um, then bring your children to the lifeguard at beaches and, right. and rivers and indeed lakes. Well, we'll work with you during the week and if you have anybody else indeed that you want to nominate or anybody that has, you know, further experience in this uh, as well as yourself, John, we're here to hammer home that message uh, this week. But it is National uh, Drowning Prevention Week, so it is, that's what it is. But the hold, hold, hold a hand campaign, I like that whole idea. Whoever came up with that idea is ingenious. Uh, it kind of instills in confidence. Well, it, in it, it's, a, it's, it's actually the, the, the lady, or the mother, Amanda Cambridge is her name. Uh, and she lost her son, oh, Avery Green, uh, in Alicante in Spain in 2019. And she realized that, you know, had she been holding his hand, it wouldn't have happened. And it's, it's sort of, it, the, the, the idea really has come from her in, in many ways. Good but it's great to see that the Minister for Ch- Children and indeed the Minister for uh, Water Safety, who is Heather Humphreys, so you've got the Minister O'Gorman and, and Humphreys who are supporting this. And that's really, really important as well, because you do need the, the government support as well. And uh, the, the fact that they realise that this is an important project is really good news. And we get the support from the Department of Children to kind of get the message out to all these precious, to all the preschools. Uh, so this just becomes part of the, yeah. if you like, the, the, the life skills that the young toddlers are going to learn when they're in the, the pressure in the preschool. John, keep up the good work to you and to the team. It's great to have you Galway-based as well. Uh, but thank you for joining us today. John Leach, Chief Executive indeed of Irish Water Safety, uh, joining us on the line. That piece of music from Lidl, by the way, and that uh, Buy Me app uh, again. I was just getting a message in the headphones, so I didn't play it for you, but this is the second time I'm playing it for you uh, today. So when you hear this piece of music, and you'll hear it on the playlist with Alan Murphy today, between three o'clock and five, you can just send in your name, uh, the word Lidl, your name and your location. Send it to either 53995 or WhatsApp us to 0870-95869 and be getting yourself that €200 Euro Lidl voucher to spend on that Buy Me app. If you haven't downloaded that app, download it now to your phone to be ready to spend the €200. Euro. And just it's B-U-I-M-I-E is how it's spelled. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too. I'm in love with your body. Now, Barna Woods is, part of Barna Woods is closed this morning following a personal tragedy indeed. Uh, there overnight, it'll be reopened as soon as possible once the Gardaí gave uh, a clear uh, indication there. Uh, and again, just uh, it's closed, part of it is closed and uh, closed off this morning due to that unfortunate uh, personal tragedy and our thoughts go to the families involved in that uh, today. I know I don't know who's involved and I don't really want to know who's involved. Our thoughts 
are just with him. Now, though, we have been following um, the reopening of businesses on this programme. And in- indeed, this day last week, there was a bit of a brouhaha and celebration with all of the uh, eateries opening up outside again. But uh, Mary Carl Godoy joins me on the line because she is the proprietor, indeed, of a restaurant in Middle Street in Galway. And she's given me an email uh, over the weekend, which um, really and truly she can tell me about herself. Uh, Mary, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, now, you're in Middle Street. Thanks for having me. It's the, the old brasserie, as we would have known it indeed, next door to the Augustinian yeah. Church there. Yeah, Vina Mara. That's right. And Vina Mara. God, you're bringing back memories, so you're not getting too old for this. <laughs> but again, and I, and I drove up it last evening just to see how it was going, and it was great to see life there. But you're trying to put an awning in place, and you're having a problem with it. And it's not the awning that's the problem, it's the pole. Well, okay, so we applied for permission to put an awning only up until July 5th when we can open our doors for the indoor dining. And it was rejected. And then we we asked if we can have umbrellas in place. And that too is rejected. So my question to the city council is, how do we have outdoor dining in, in those types of situations where we can't protect our diners from gifts of seagulls and rain and such? So... Okay, the rain I can carry, I could, I can handle all night. Not, not that I would like to handle it, but the gift from a seagull. I love the way you put that uh, from there. But what is the, is it's the awning? As I said at the outset, the awning is okay, but is it the support pole that's a problem? But the table is not the problem. No, it's the awning itself. There's no awnings, no umbrellas, no tents, no marquees allowed on the street side. Nothing to protect people from rain. But I saw some or anything falling from the skies. Yeah, and uh, and Church Lane there, right between the Augustinian and so you know the little laneway that goes down there. The name escapes me now. Uh, but I, I, I did, buttermilk, yeah, buttermilk walk. Yeah, sorry, I should know that. Uh, but I mean, the situation <laughs> is that um, there were kind of little tents down that area last night, so there was. Well, what what the council is saying is that it's not; it's a roadside issue, so oh. um, it's a visual. Um, it's a visual thing for drivers. So if a small child runs out in the streets, uh, an umbrella pole is going to prevent the driver from seeing them. So it's a safety issue then, so it is, Mary. It, it, it appears, that's what they're telling me, that it's, it's, a, it's a visual issue for drivers down the road, coming down the road there. So, but I don't, I, it's, it's baffling because it's, it's a stick, you know, it's just an umbrella pole. So, is, is so um, we're we're at an impasse where we how do we open our doors? How do we expect our employees to come off the pup payment and say sorry, you can't work today? It's raining. You know, we just are we're throwing our hands up at this point, scratching our heads, saying how how do we open during this phase? With difficulty, I would say. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, okay last night. It was, it was, it was misty. It was foggy last night, actually. Oh, it's uh, beautiful night. Yeah, it, it was a lovely night. It was foggy night. last night, so I'd say that would be okay. But I mean, certainly the seagulls would be a problem. Um, like it's, it's so nice. It's, I mean, all the way up past um, the Tyve Yard, there was people sitting and dining and all that. But I mean, if it was raining, yeah. they wouldn't be there, Mary. That's the bottom line. But the conversation, exactly. And then we can't open if it's raining. And then we have, you know, besides what goes on with dealing in a kitchen, it's it's our staff. How do we give them four hours, you know, in, in the conditions of Ireland with the rain? But besides that, you know, the response I got from 
my communication with the councils after cracking down on all restaurants and pubs and cafes who have the likes of that out on a roadside. It's not just Middle Street. So, I mean, we're, we're on our knees. We're trying to come back from maybe three months of being open in a year, and, and they're crippling us. You know, instead of coming to us to see how we can help you, they're visiting us, going door to door, um, enforcing their uh, street furniture and sign policy. See, I can well, see, the, I can see the two. So I can see the frust- I can hear the frustration in your in your voice. And then on the other side, God forbid that a, a child did come out from behind one of those umbrella poles and did get hit by a car. I mean, right. the, the liability could last. I'm not saying would could last, but the council happened there. So there, it's got, it's a chicken and egg situation. But then it's a little bit of common yeah, sense. Now, I thought that road was going to be closed at certain times. No, no, they it well. They're in phase one of closing. They rerouted the direction, and there is considerably less traffic. There's no cars that go by in the evening anymore, um, for the most part. The odd car, but um. So what are you for, a- what, what, what are you asking for right now this morning? Then what for you to open your restaurant um, today? We we need to have at least basic shelter for people. So the awning that I did. Um, the awning that we put up, it's, it's you know, 10 feet up, three meters up. So it's not an obstruction for cars. Mm-hmm. The umbrella poles, they're saying, are. Um, so at least allow us to put awnings up where they come from the building. You know, basic, basic shelter for people so that we can take bookings and not have people leave when it's raining and not have to... Um, change plates in the kitchen if a seagull drives by or flies by. You know, just... And does that happen? Basic, basic structure. Do do, do seagulls fly by fairly often? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, if you look at the theatre there, they have a glass awning and you could see <laughs> Okay. the theatre next to us. We'll do DNA Absolutely. testing on that. Uh, listen, uh, again, thanks for joining us from Sangria Tapas Restaurant. We don't have a solution in Middle Street in Galway uh, today. Uh, but you signed it off, which really, which kind of caught my attention. Uh, you signed it off, indeed, with your own name, Mary Carl Goodai, uh, Sangria Tapas Bar, 19 Middle Street, Galway City. And in brackets, it may be headed for Cork. Would you think of moving? Um, if we if we can't, uh, no, we don't want to. We love it here. The kids are in a great school. You know, we, we love our neighbours. We're really well settled. We don't want to, but... Um, it, you you it, need to trade. We need to be able to function. Mm. All right. You know. Listen, um, we'll throw it to one of the local councillors and see what they can come up. Have you spoken to any of the councillors on this yet? Yeah, that, well, that's who I was dealing with. They came by and they, they spoke with us. Um, no, I mean, as in one of the elected representatives rather than... Ah, uh, um, no, no, not yet. Okay. Let's no. throw it there and see can a little bit of um, common sense come into this uh, from there because... In fairness, there's been a lot of common sense around since this COVID thing started. Uh, Mary, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. If you have any thoughts and comments on that, please feel free uh, to uh, drop us a call 091 77077 and 53995 uh, today on the programme. Uh, other bits and pieces that have come, have come across the uh, desk uh, this morning uh, is in relation to autism, which we'll be going to next, by the way, and I'll give you full details on that as well. Uh, plus, yet to come to the programme, that wonderful reception which was held for Owen Ward by Mayor Mike Cubbard. 
Yeah, we're looking at that on today's programme. And if you really are peed off with short-term lettings and people coming and going in properties in and around where you live in Galway City Centre and on the outskirts of Galway City Centre, there may be some change in the legislation to tidy all of that up. And also, indeed, we're looking at that wonderful Geopark project in Joyce Country and a major conference taking place in a couple of days' time. Stay tuned for that and more to come on today's programme. Quick commercial break. Uh, the comment lines are open if you want to get through to us on 091 77097 and 53995. It's a Monday morning. Good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. Four in ten parents say that their autistic children have regressed during COVID-19, according to a new survey. The report for the autism charity, As I Am, finds that two-thirds have had to wait at least two years to get an autism diagnosis uh, for their children, indeed. Um, Adam Harris is the CEO of As I Am, and he joins me on the line today. Uh, Adam, good morning to you. Thanks for taking our call. Good morning. That's morning. Thanks for having me. Four in ten parents. That's a fair old chunk, so it is at this stage. And it's a very comprehensive uh, survey that was done on this. What can be done? Because they're not very impressed, indeed, uh, with the HSE and the follow-up support services either. You see, I think there's two pieces to this. I think, you know, in recent months, and indeed, we've had a number of conversations yourself and myself about the impact of COVID-19 on autistic children and their families. And we know that people have regressed a lot in, over the last year because people haven't been actively using their skills. Uh, they've lost that sense of routine and predictability, which is so important to people in the autism community. But also there's been the reality that vital support services, including therapeutic services, have often been deferred or deprioritized during the pandemic. And that's been a real problem. But I think the other side of this is, I think, like a lot of issues, the pandemic was really just maybe more like pulling off a plaster because this has been a problem long before the pandemic. And I think it's really just been brought into focus in recent months. So we know that for a long time now, there's been significant underinvestment in these vital supports for children on the autism spectrum. And we see that in the fact that it would be one thing if families had to wait two years to get an assessment. But the the sad reality from our survey is 80% of the children surveyed are not receiving any support from the HSE. Now, I think that's extremely worrying because what we're talking about... Did you say, Adam, 80%? 80% are not receiving any support from either the early intervention team or the school age going team. So these are vital supports like speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, psychology, and that the support that enables a child to flourish in school, that enables a child to go on and live independently in the community. So... You know, it's about providing the right support at the right time. And when we don't do that, we're not just saving the child now, but we're preventing them from reaching their potential and living independently in the future as well. But Adam, if it's a thing that you don't give the young people the tools um, to give them a quality of life that they can further themselves and get on and lead a, a normal life, I mean, surely we look back in, and I've said this about other issues in this country, by the way, it's not political, Surely we look back in 20, 30, 40 years' time when these people are 44, 45, 46, 47, whatever age they are at the time, and the lack of services then will, will have held them back and like we could have another crisis on our hands. Absolutely. I think one of the most famous uh, uh, reports into autism services around the world was done in Canada, and the name of the report actually at the time was Pay Now or Pay Later. And I think this is really important because we're not just letting children on the autism spectrum and their families down and this huge stress and suffering when people don't get the support they need. But what's actually happening is society's missing out on the potential and the ability of these children as well. We need people to think differently. And autistic people, when they get the right support at the right time, have a huge amount to contribute into society as well. I think as well, it's also important that we understand if this isn't just about resources. Resources are a big part of it. 
But what I would also be very concerned about was over half of respondents were very dissatisfied with HSE and 7 in 10 didn't feel they were even given enough information about autism when they were given the diagnosis. There was a sense of being handed a piece of paper and off you go. And I think that's the terrible thing, that families so often think that the autism diagnosis is going to be a key to support. At least we know where we're going now. But what we're really seeing is nobody's there to say yes to the families. No one's there saying, let me take your hand and I'll show you where we go to next. So I think there's a need for a culture change in how we're interacting with families going through this time. And we need to be much more proactive because an autism diagnosis presents challenges for the whole family, particularly when the supports don't follow through as a result. But those going through the autism journey should not have to explain themselves. If somebody presents themselves in the hospital with a cardiac problem, uh, they throw the kitchen sink at it. And then for you to say there's no assistance after a diagnosis... I mean, it's just, you've got autism, that's it, and but there's no backup, you're saying, coming up. So, I mean, they're at a disadvantage from day one of the diagnosis. Absolutely, and I think what we have to do is we have to use this as an opportunity to take action. I think there's a reality that, you know, we can talk about the impact of COVID, we can talk about the impact of the cyber attack, but the reality is this has been a problem for many years. It's yeah. only getting worse. But there's also, I think, an opportunity. There's never been the level of focus on this issue that there, ha- that there has been over the last 12 months. So I think it's now time to take action and to try and see how we can improve things. We have been engaging a lot with Minister Anne Rabbit, and she is committed to put in place an autism innovation strategy. That really involves getting everybody in government around one table and saying, how do we put the resources in place that are needed? But how do we work smarter as well? Um, so that really needs to happen now, but it also needs to get the appropriate level of resourcing because plans are great, but plans only work if they have the money and the expertise to back them up. So I think that really needs to be the focus. These children cannot wait any longer. Um, I think when we look back on COVID-19, I think one of the areas we'll find we didn't wrap ourselves in glory is we really did leave families with additional needs behind and their needs weren't prioritised. So we need to make sure as we're rebuilding so we're doing that in a more inclusive way and we're providing the support that people vitally need in the community. It is just so sad that any time, and it's not your fault, uh, Adam Harris, by the way, uh, CEO of As I Am, but any time we talk about uh, autism, it's always a struggle. It's always a fight. Now, and I'm going back 30 years here. I'm going way, way, way back when even primary yeah. schools wanted to have nothing got to do with those with autism. Yeah. So I'm going that far back. And then you got in the extra teachers and the SNAs and all of that. But that's taken 30 years uh, to bring in. Uh, but the situation is, why, did, why is it always a fight? And that's really what families ask us. You know, over the last year, demand for our services and our information support has gone up 280%. And what always astonishes me is that what families are telling us is we don't know where to go. We've been told nobody can help us. Lots of people have told us it's not their job, but no one has told us whose job it is. So there's just that sense of struggle. Um, And, you know, there's a sense of it's one thing not having a service, but not even knowing where to go or when you will have a service or being communicated with. So there's a real need for a culture change. And there's a need to, I think, more directly involve autistic families in the design and delivery of services. uh, Because, you know, nothing about us without us. And I think there's a reality that for a long time now, the needs of autistic people have just been overlooked or not understood correctly. I think the, the title of the charity that you're CEO of, As I Am, kind of says it all. You want to be as you are. Uh, but I think as a, as a nation, we have to put our shoulders to the wheel on this one and treat I think so. autism like like any other disability that somebody may have or cardiac event that they would have, pardon the pun, after 
weekend that we've yeah. had with football or if it was a, a broken hip or a broken toe or whatever. It shouldn't be isolated uh, and left out there. And, and, you know, I think the thing is people shouldn't have to suffer in silence and I think that's the problem. That, that is the problem. For a long time, families have done all of the heavy lifting and the state has been happy to take a back seat. But what families are telling us is we can't keep doing this and we need the support. Um, autistic people have huge strengths and abilities and unfortunately we don't get to talk enough about those because we're spending all our time fighting for the most yeah. basic support. But if we put that support in place now, we can have people living fulfilled lives in the community. And that is their right, and society will benefit from that as well. All right, Adam, we're here to fight with you, by the way. Um, and whatever we can do to fight with you, you'd have strong political uh, context. But I think it's we need more than political context. You know, we need a, the will of the HSC, the likes of Paul Reid and Alan Connor and those. Uh, we need them now to come up and say, listen, guys, we're going to embrace this whole autism situation and we're going to put supports. I know it's been a tough year and a half for them. Adam Harris, thank you for joining us uh, today, CEO of As I Am. Oliver joins you at Sport on today's programme. Ali, good morning to you. Morning to you, Keith. Thanks for joining us. Now, it was a mixed day indeed for Galway GA teams, including uh, the hurling, the football, and camogie. Yeah, talk about a mixed, mixed. emotions and yeah. um, it's such drama as well throughout a very busy afternoon yesterday. It started with the hurlers coming from behind and very quickly uh, took a stranglehold on proceedings against Cork in that second half in Porky Cueve. So at one point early in the second half, they'd gone seven points down and it looked like the game was drifting away. But such is the power and precision and the amount of options available to Shane O'Neill and the Galway management now that a couple of tweaks had suddenly boomed. They had turned around the game. Cahill Mannion was fantastic. And they ended up winning the game by five points, which means that that, along with Waterford beating Tipperary, means that Galway top uh, their Division 1 Group A, Kilkenny top on the other side before uh, the weekend. So they're joint league champions as things stand. And if they meet in the championship, which they're scheduled to meet in a Leinster final if both sides win their respective semi-finals, then that will double up as a National Hurling League final. And there'll be two trophies on the table for that day. So uh, it's a, it was a good day for yesterday for the hurlers, but for the footballers, it was mm-hmm. a, a really a case of so many regrets a game where Galway played so well for so long and had put themselves in a winning position and then just somehow found a way to lose it Uh, first of all in normal time where they were five points up late on uh, and then a a black card towards the end of the game proved crucial and at the death uh, Monaghan got a goal and a point to take the game to extra time. Even in extra time, Galway looked in a decent enough position at half-time when they trailed just by a point, but then uh, at having taken the lead in the second period of extra time, they watched the game drift away from them again with a couple of silly errors late on. And even at the very, very end, when the sides were level after Matthew Tierney had kicked a brilliant equalising point from a mark uh, with a minute to go at the end of extra time and injury time, uh, a ball was kicked short into the Galway goalkeeper. It looked like the danger was cleared and we were just waiting for the referee to blow into the whistle for a penalty shootout to ensue. And suddenly Galway gave the ball away. Jack McCarran kicked it over the bar, last kick of the game, and Galway found themselves relegated. Uh, Hard to know. I mean, when you look at the video of it, I'm sure Galway will take so many positives, but 
just the unforced errors when it mm. came to the crucial management of those few minutes uh, at the end of normal time and extra time will leave a sour taste I'm sure for Porrick Joyce and his management team and players for a long time they won't have that long to dwell on it because no. they'll be getting ready for a trip to Roscommon and to Hyde Park for the championship on July the 4th Roscommon also relegated yesterday but then late last night the last game Keith that finished up on a busy evening of sport was the Camogie National League semi-final which also went to extra time and Galway putting one over on court winning by 119 to 117 and showing great courage in doing so and now they'll meet their arch enemies Kilkenny in the final next Sunday evening a bizarre time half seven on a Sunday night in Croke Park it'll be a late night for our crew and for the Galway girls but they won't mind if they can win it well done to all involved uh, there. A dramatic opening weekend in the Euros. Dramatic was an understatement no more than the mixed yeah, fortunes on, of all on the pitch. I yeah. mean, on the pitch in the context of Christian Eriksen, which yeah. you alluded to there uh, in, your, in your last segment. I mean, it was one of the most shocking 15 minutes, I think, that anybody who watches sport has ever seen in their lives. And we were watching potentially uh, a young athlete dying in front of the world's eyes from cardiac arrest and yet somehow uh, he was saved Christian Eriksen the Danish midfielder just before half time in their match against Finland and it just dominated not just sport but news yeah. headlines for the following couple of hours until we realised that uh, Christian was awake he had been saved uh, the defibrillation was successful the amazing emergency staff uh, at the ground in Copenhagen did the, the work that was necessary to keep him alive so much so that he even managed to speak on the phone to his teammates yeah. who agreed that they would go back out later on that evening at half seven and finish the match against Finland which was quite extraordinary Finland went and won the game 1-0 they had one shot on the goal they got a goal and they won 1-0 which I think we found out later on was the first time ever in the history of statistics that that's happened but, but it was a really bizarre night England then started yesterday their campaign with a 1-0 win over Croatia and Scotland they start their campaign this afternoon against the Czech Republic at 2 o'clock But should that game have gone ahead briefly on? I don't know. I mean, the fact that the players made the decision, UEFA wanted it called off, um, you kind of said, well, look, fair enough, if both Denmark and Finland agreed to play it, they would have been coming back the next day at 12 o'clock to finish it otherwise. But I can't imagine that their mindset no. would have been in a position to make a, a proper call on that or not. But I suppose, look, at the, I don't think there'd be as much talk about it, only the fact that Finland won the game. I think Denmark had enough chances to win 10 games and they blew it. Um, but having said that, I think ultimately the result was immaterial and it was all about Christian Eriksen's health at the end of the day. Absolutely. Novak Djokovic indeed won the uh, French Open. Yeah, I thought because of the extraordinary amount of exertion in his semi-final win over Rafa Nadal, which was just one of the most brutal games of tennis ever, ever seen. Uh, many have said that the third set between Djokovic and Nadal was the greatest set of tennis ever played, certainly the greatest set ever played on clay. And Djokovic, who's only one of two people to ever beat Nadal on clay, repeated the trick. But because he spent so much energy, people said, this man won't be able to walk for the mm. final on Sunday against Tsitsipas, a younger player from Greece who many feel will be uh, one of the next up-and-coming great stars. And so much so when Tsitsipas won the first two sets, we thought, okay, well, there's the script. But of course, Djokovic doesn't do lying down. And he's one of the greatest players of all time for a reason. Battle back, won it in five sets, and now he's on 19 Grand Slams, just one behind Federer and Nadal heading into Wimbledon. It truly is a golden era for tennis in, in the men's game. 
It really is. And racing-wise in Ireland, where are we after? Yeah, two meetings today in Ireland. Again, uh, all of the, the, the weekend's action. Uh, we were thinking very much of Ross Ryan, who uh, we heard during the week, talked last Monday night to the lads uh, on Over the Line, uh, and subsequently then during the week developed appendicitis. So any hopes of him being uh, involved in Royal Ascot were dashed during the week. So that was disappointing. Uh, this afternoon, we have two race meetings in Ireland. Gorham Park is on early. That starts at a quarter to two. And the evening meeting is in Kilbegan, where they start at 20 to five. All right, Oliver, thank you. Sport on the hour every hour here on Galway Bay FM. If you want to get further details, go to galwaybayfm.ie. Galway Bay FM Sports News with Western Motors Ballybrit, the home of Volkswagen in Galway. Western Motors Volkswagen.ie. Now let's go to uh, UHG and get an update as to how the hospital is doing uh, this Monday morning indeed. And we're joined on the line by uh, Chris Kane, General Manager of uh, UHG on this uh, June the 14th. Uh, we're nearly halfway through the year at this stage, uh, Chris, but how are things? Uh, good morning, Keith. Um, I, th- I think um, certain things are improving, but other things in terms of the IT situation are still uh, very slow in terms of um, getting solutions. So that is causing some disruption still to the services um, as such. So whilst we have had improvements in relation to the laboratories and um, thankfully that hopefully there'll be more progress made today and, or this week in relation to interfaces with health links um, and the GPs and we are being able to take GP bloods now as well. Um, there are still impacts in terms of clinics. Um, so our system that we have in place um was working uh, last week and then went down again. Um, So clearly that came back up on Friday, um, but it did impact um, in relation to some of our clinics on Thursday and Friday. So it's still quite um, changeable, I would have to say. Um, So in relation to patients, we are going ahead with um, clinics today, but by and large, and we plan for this week that hopefully we'll be able to manage all of our clinics. However, if that system uh, goes down again or that we have issues with it, there may um, need to be some ca- uh, cancellations or deferrals. So we will be contacting patient, patients directly by text. So uh, just to be aware of that, and we do apologise. So when you said when it came back up and then went down again, that's all still to do with the whole cyber situation? Yeah, it, it, it's really to do with um, we're, we're finding issues um in relation to uh, connecting up with different systems. So, um, and we have engineers on site um, and they have been working through it, um, but clearly we had issues with printing, we had issues with scanning. Uh, we had a lot of different issues um, last week in terms of connections. So we're working through it, um, but I would have to say that it's still quite um, intermittent or changeable. So whilst we have some um, systems back up and running, which is great, um, we are finding um, glitches in the system that are causing problems for us. So just to be aware of that. Effectively, really, what, I mean, you and I, it's certainly about my, my brain power, but they've had to rebuild the whole system from scratch. And when you're doing think, something um, like that. And that's going to be absolutely, you're correct. And I think we're ongoing. I think there will be further work done over the coming weeks. Um, and certain things we still do not have, um, you know, very clearly. We're still working on national systems with some of our endoscopy and our renal systems. And clearly as well, we're looking in terms of, um, I suppose, um, 
some of our emails um, whilst they're working. Uh, there's no remote access, there's no internet access and uh, whilst we can do some of that for some of the portable devices with workarounds, it's still very challenging. Is this week five today, Chris, is it? We are, yes. Since last five. Friday we were, yeah. Wow, it's... Um, it's, it's, it's so it is going on um, a long period of time and I, I suppose the issue for us as well is that we have had uh, clearly... Um, a very significant return to activity and um, we had a lot of delays last week uh, both in ED we had high volumes of patients presenting so clearly if you need to come absolutely you need to come but if there are alternatives that you can utilize first that would be um, I suppose advisable because there can be delays. Uh, somebody wants to know are, are CT scan results coming back? CT yes they are yes they're coming back uh, from yes, there. Yes. Uh, so we have a backlog of of uh, reports that had to be reviewed that were, um, I suppose, undertaken during that time, and we're uh, going through those in terms of the reporting. So there may be a slight delay, but by and large, they're working through that backlog. Uh, somebody else said, uh, "My mother has an appointment in outpatients uh, today, so is the key message to go ahead." Go ahead, yes, yeah. unless you're contacted otherwise, yes. Okay, and uh, from there, and this caller wants to know about maternity services. Are they going on as usual? Maternity services are going ahead, yes. Um, so you have so come, you've come away, Chris, on this. You've, you've come. Oh, no, we, we have. I, I suppose it's just, just to be cautious. Um, the issue is that it's still quite um, volatile. It's quite intermittent. So uh, while things are working at the moment in terms of certain systems, yeah. Uh, we do had a, had a situation last week where we didn't have access to a certain system, which was key. It went down, printing went down, so it does create delays, and that's quite difficult. So part of the suite of products that you use is working, and some of it is still finding it difficult to get back on its feet again. So that's, I mean, and that's nobody's fault. This this is what has happened. No, no, it's, it's just, it's golden to take a bit of time. And I think, as you mentioned there, about rebuilding systems, so that... That uh, takes time, so um, it's uh, very clearly uh, there's work going on in relation to it. So it's going to take another number of weeks, I would have to say, before we're, you know, um, clearly in relation to functioning properly um, in relation to our IT systems. So the key message this morning then is if you need to go to the ED department, go. If you've got a call or you've got a note or a text from the outpatients department, you go from there. Uh, and that's, that's the key message. And, and just in relation to if, if we can keep ED for urgent um, patients as such, as opposed to if you can access your primary care services in the first instance or your minor injuries unit um, in relation to it, just uh, because we all know that in relation to... Um, it's, it's, it's quite challenging in relation to uh, lengthy delays when there's high volumes in ED. Uh, we do know that. Okay, just and bed capacity is a bit of a problem at the moment. Um, are you fairly full? Yes, we are. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've about twenty-seven patients waiting beds this morning. So clearly, we're working through that. Um, so it, it does present its own challenges. It does. Just somebody said I got a letter on Thursday confirming my cardiac appointment for uh, um, today on site. I rang the hospital to confirm it as I have to take time off work to attend at short notice and I was told uh, yes, on site appointment. I got a text on Friday at 3.50pm cancelling. Uh, not good enough. I had to rearrange work and get cover. No, no, uh, I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's, it's very difficult because it's so um, stop-start um, and that's really um, 
a huge challenge for us at the moment. So we're trying to get a little bit more stability into the system so that we don't have to do that. Um, but it is very clearly, uh, we thought we were in a better position last week and then we had problems, we encountered problems. I do apologise. It happens, it happens, Chris. But anyway, to you and to the team, you're doing a fine job over there. But uh, we'll check in with you later. There'll be Chris Kane there joining us from USG. So again, if it's a thing that you want to go to the ED, will you make sure that you've checked it first off with your GP? And if the GP deems it very very necessary for you to go uh, to the ED department, then go from there. But exhaust the GP first off uh, because they're under pressure and 27 people waiting for beds. Thanks to Chris Kane for joining us uh, there in the programme. Let me go to Dara Lachlan who joins me and he's a pharmacist in June County Galway. And as of today, uh, they will be in a position to administer the vaccines. But how is this going to work? And Dara joins me on the line. Dara, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Good Thank to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, you've, you've, uh, I mean, yourself and your colleagues, uh, as of today, will be administering, but how is this going to work, can I ask you? Yeah, well, we mightn't be administering from today. The vaccines are being delivered into the pharmacies today, tomorrow okay. and Wednesday. And the first vaccines that are being delivered to pharmacies are the Janssen vaccines, the single-dose vaccine. Mm-hmm. And that's for people aged 50 and upwards who haven't already been vaccinated. So anybody who is aged 50 or more who has registered on the portal and not been vaccinated or isn't even registered on the HSE portal just needs to get in touch with a nearby pharmacy and they can make an appointment in the pharmacy and the pharmacist will be able to vaccinate them then once the vaccines arrive. This is going to bring... There is... um, there's a good list of pharmacies all around Galway doing it. There's pharmacies across the city in Knocknacarra, Salt Hill, Renmore, and then almost every town in Grand Galway, Dunmore, Tune, Clare Galway, Hedford, Lockray, Crockwell, Gort, Kinvara, Ballinasloe, all will have vaccines in their pharmacies this week. But, but again, the criteria for this is if they've registered on the portal but they haven't been called, or if they haven't registered on the portal and they're willing to take the vaccine and they're 50 plus, um, they're the people that can be facilitated with this. Initially, yes, it's just people aged 50 or more who haven't been vaccinated, regardless of whether or not they've registered themselves on the portal. And, wh- and then wh- towards the end of... Sorry, Keith. What is the best website for them to go to, can I ask you? HSE.ie. Now, it's not easy to navigate the website, but HSE.ie does have a COVID vaccination information section. And within that, there's a bit about where you can get your vaccine. And if you click on pharmacy you'll be able to search the list of pharmacies then to see by county what pharmacies have the vaccines this week. Okay, I'm just trying to do it here, but it, it ain't easy, so it isn't so into, into it from there. Uh, again, we'll, we'll see can we get a simpler version of this to try and get people uh, to roll them out from there. Um, how can you see it working then? So if I'm 52 years of age uh, and I present myself, uh, I make an appointment online and all that, I go into the pharmacy to you or to one of your colleagues it's administered, I wait the 15 minutes and I move on from there. That's it, yes. And you just make an appointment with the pharmacy. It may be online or you might do it by phone. And the appointments will be in blocks of five. Each vial has five doses in it and we don't want to waste any of those doses. So we'll be lining people up five at a time to come in and out and get the vaccine. And you'll sit in the small consultation room that every pharmacy has and just go through some questions to make sure that you are suitable for it. And then the pharmacist will administer the vaccine and keep you waiting on a chair there for 15 minutes, just in case of any side effects. Exactly the same as they're doing it in the vaccination centres. 
and then you can go on your way and the pharmacist will have registered you on the IT system at that stage. So it'll be recorded that you've had your vaccine and then whenever the vaccine passport thing comes out that the EU is talking about, at least you'll be able to get one of those. The advantage of the Janssen vaccine is it's just one dose. So two weeks after you've had that one dose, you're deemed to be fully vaccinated. Okay. So, I mean, I'm I'm trying to find it on the HC website uh, as I'm talking to you, Darren. I just can't find where to go. It says, register to get COVID vaccine 19. Um, User guide, getting your vaccine. Moderna, AstraZeneca, the rollout. Maybe getting your vaccine, maybe. maybe, Will that allow me into the pharmacy side of things? No? Doesn't allow me in from there? Um, No. Getting your vaccine, it should do. Uh, Register online to get a free vaccine. Click on getting your vaccine. Yeah. Getting your COVID-19 vaccine. And if you scroll down a bit, it says people aged 50 or over. Okay. I'm doing I'm doing it, but I must have clicked into the wrong one. Anyway, so we'll see can we figure it and get it easier from there. So I've gone into things you need to register online. So then you go from there, you register online from there. And it says start now. But I don't see anywhere where it says um, pharmacy. Maybe if I hit start now. Um, 40 to 69 age group. I'm not in this group. <laughs> It's 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 complicated. So it is. if it's complicated for me, and I'm kind of te- say, okay with technology, it's not the most user friendly. Uh, no, um, we can't. Can after make- we finish this call, I will email you the link to where the list of pharmacies in, and maybe you could put it on your website, and people will be able to find we it. We can, and we'll read them out. Actually, if you do that, it would be great. I mean, we'll read them out then from there. I think we've come a long way, but I think this will help the vaccine program and maybe get people out because they trust their pharmacist and they, they'll work with their pharmacist. But again, it's all about uh, trying to streamline it and make it easier from there. So, if you don't mind sending it to KF Show, what we're trying to do is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Just KF Show at GalwayBayFM.ie. And it comes up on the screen outside and then they can just paste it onto our website and give me a copy of it here then as well. Um, because uh, it needs to be simplified as to where it's going to be. So we'll put it on our website on galwaybfm.ie and uh, we'll also read out the list of all of the pharmacies that will be administering this as well. Dara, well done. Good luck. I, if you weren't busy enough in Shum County, Galway, you're going to be far busier now. Yes, but it is great that we can mop up anybody who's missed the first opportunity to be vaccinated. And then following that, we're hoping to expand the programme and get the Pfizer vaccines in so we can start vaccinating younger people in pharmacies as well. So anything that makes the vaccine more accessible to people, I think, can only be a good thing. All right. Listen, thanks, Eddie, for joining us uh, today. Dara Lachlan joining us on the line there. And thanks to him for joining us. Keith, I believe that there will be 5,000 supports allowed into Crow Park next Sunday evening. I wonder where can tickets be bought for this? Keith, listening to that restaurant here and having seen the Troubled Ground and Co. and Aline had in Salt Hill, it's very maddening to compare it to Cork City. It seems the Cork City Council are doing all they can to help and encourage businesses in Galway. It really seems to be the opposite, this caller said. And uh, I have to clear that uh, from there. Um, and that comes from Aidan to the programme today. Aidan, I have to say that I know from Galway City Council point of view they've tried their best. Uh, and it's it's a double-edged sword on this one. If you go back to the conversation we had earlier on with Mary uh, from the restaurant to Middle Street, if somebody gets hurt, it, it falls back. It falls back fully uh, on the uh, council then from there, so it is. Uh, and again, yeah, but I look... Will you leave that one with me? Because we're working on something different there altogether. Another caller said uh, today, Keith, uh, this caller said, uh, in relation to uh, Galway at the weekend, I visited for the first time in a while and it was absolutely beautiful. Congratulations to all involved in the city. 
It is a beautiful city and the weather this weekend was just bammy. Well, the City Council and the Mayor of uh, Galway City indeed held a civic reception indeed for Owen Ward uh, who joins me again on the programme. Owen is one of those guys, great guy indeed. Uh, but uh, a wonderful socially distanced event when it came to um, the event in Leisureland. But let me go to the Mayor of Galway City, indeed, Mike uh, Cupboard, who joins you on the line. Mike, uh, Mayor Mike Cupboard, good morning to you. Morning, Keith, how are you? Good. You decided to have a civic reception, indeed, and a mayoral reception uh, for Owen Ward. I did, I suppose, Keith, um, and, and I approached Owen about this a number of weeks back, but I think it was very important to recognise what, what Owen has done. Um, I suppose he in own story is remarkable, I believe. As an early school leaver at 16, and he had, he had no junior cert or no leaving cert, he, he found a new pathway to, to higher education, and he's really kind of mapped out a way that there are alternative paths if you if you look for them for, for young people, and particular members, younger members of the travelling community. I think, uh, and what he's got on then in, in recent times to become the first member of, of the travelling community in Ireland to to serve on the governing body of a third level institution. So again, I, I saw that as breaking down glass ceilings again, and, and I suppose going above and beyond as uh, somebody local uh, and, and I felt important as mayor to recognise Owen so we had, a, we had a very good event on Friday um, while limited with numbers uh, unfortunately uh, we would have been I'm sure packed to the rafters if we were able to, to be, uh, bring a crowd but it was a nice event uh, Owen's family were there some of his colleagues from NUIG uh, and, and again myself as mayor and some of my own colleagues from Coast City Council and also others joined in virtually so it was a nice event to recognise somebody who has I, I believe has, has been committed to, to creating a new pathways for people in higher education. Owen, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, in the programme. Uh, a wonderful honour at a young age. Um, uh, yes, Keith. Yes, it's a, it's a, um, I've been deeply touched, to be honest, and, you know, to receive such an honour and recognition from not only, I suppose, from the Mayor of Gova City, but also Gova City Council, you know, um, uh, both myself and the Mayor were from the same neck of the woods, you know, we're from Westside, and, um, I to be to receive such recognition from your Galway city, um, your your place of birth, you know, um, words can't describe um, how um, how that, what that really means to me. And I think that you know, I I tried not to think about it too much, Keith, to be honest. But I did get a bit. I could feel you know the emotions rising on Friday. It really mm. did move me. You see, you're very. You're the most diplomatic person I've come across. You should be going into the diplomatic services, so you are. Um, because you're not afraid to call a spade a spade, and then you're not afraid to diplomatically work in the background, uh, which is a unique set of skills that you really have. Yeah, well, I, you know, Keith, I suppose coming from my background, you know, not not just being, you know, a member of the travelling community, but also coming from a working class background, like the mayor there himself, you know, and being, I suppose, on my pathway, as, as I've progressed on over the years, you know, I've, I've been working a lot with a lot of people. And I've always found to be fair, um, to, um, to be fair to, and open to other people's opinions, and to be respectful of that, you know. Mm. And that's, uh, I suppose, core um, within my, um, in the way in my, my my philosophy of trying to resolve issues and trying to progress um, different issues um, that, for the betterment of, of everybody, not just oneself. Yeah, or not just for the travelling community either. That's correct. Yeah, it's for everybody. Yeah. Would you ever look at going into the whole pol- political side of things? Well, Keith, I'm going to be honest with you. No, um, you know, my sole focus at the moment is in education. You know, yeah. um, that's where my passion is. I'm, I'm very passionate about education. Um, you know, for me, 
and that's where I see my future um, um, for at this time that's where I see my future particularly you know I'm, I have a lot of stuff going on around me at the moment and for me you know coming from my back and why I'm so passionate about it Keith honestly and this is 100% genuine is that you know I, I spoke very candidly um, at my speech on Friday um, you know about my own struggles you know particularly around my mental health when I was younger and that mm-hmm. and genuinely I do believe that education saved me I do believe that um, without finding that pathway and without those supports, I don't know if I'd be here today to, to share the story, you know. So for me, you know, I'm aware of the challenges that anybody from diverse backgrounds um, do face, particularly youth. And I'm also aware that um, the transformative effect that education can have on one's life. So I went from having very little opportunities and possibilities in life to basically, you know, now my life is, um, you know, there's a lot of um, opportunities and possibilities and I'm very, very fortunate um, to be in that position and I would also like to recognise all those people that, you know, helped me along the way because for me, you know, without them, you know, I wouldn't be what I'm doing today, you know, so I'm forever grateful. Yeah, when I came from a working class background, and so I did, so we had heat, love and yeah. food, so we had, and uh, that's what we had yeah. in the house, yeah. uh, and we had, a, we had a great childhood, but it was working class, and very proud, yeah. I have yeah. to say, of it, I really do, um, and it just shows that out of the embers, indeed, of a difficult, I mean, because you've told the story to me before, on air and off air as well, but out of a difficult childhood, a difficult when you were growing up, and Mike is still there with us, uh, it wasn't easy, so it wasn't, but from where you've came from to what you did to yourself to where you are today and the diplomatic way that you go about business currently is a credit to you and indeed your extended family. Thank you very much, Keith. Thank you very much. Uh, Mayor Mike Hubbard, do you want to add anything to that? No, I look at the, and think what's important, Keith, and you're right, Owen does go about things in a, in a diplomatic way and I suppose his response there in answer to you about going into political life when he said not at the moment, I'll have to watch that space closely because... <laughs> I can't have I can't have all now to put me out of a job either. But um, no, look, in fairness, in all, in all sides, all now in fairness, Keith. Like he, as I said, he he came back to education through the, the access program in NUI, and he's yeah. now going on to be, to become a coordinator. But what, what's important is he, he does work with refugees council and student unions and right across the board. And 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 all and I would share the same philosophy as many of your listeners would and yourself as well that everybody deserves a chance. And, and I think. Just if people had dropped out of school for various reasons, uh, I think the, the message is loud and clear that people like Owen are there to, to help you along the way to find that new path and alternative path. And I think his commitment and his, his dedication to that have, have been admirable. And, and I just, as mayor, was very honoured to support and to acknowledge that on, on Friday. Well, listen, well done to you both indeed on uh, a wonderful event, which I looked in on virtually, uh, the virtual one, but well done, Owen. Uh, I hope you got a chance to celebrate in the in the diplomatic way that you would celebrate. Uh, but thank you indeed for joining us on today's room. That's Owen Ward there and Mayor Mike Cubbard uh, joining us on the line there. The uh, comment lines are open if you want to get through to us on 091 77077 and 53995 uh, today, should you want to get in contact with us. We're back just after these. A very good morning to you. Stay tuned for that and more to come. Now, some of your comments coming in today are as follows. Coming into the telephone line here uh, today are as follows. And uh, Keith, to really, um, Keith, I was in Saltillo over the weekend and a lady pulled up with her four-year-old daughter and a potty. The child used the potty and the mother threw the contents between two cars. I thought this was disgusting. 
And uh, can you please alert listeners about cyclists on the Bohemore Road? A pedestrian just got knocked down by one, uh, the scholar said. So just be careful on that road. And uh, other calls coming in there too. Now, the comment lines are open if you want to get through to us uh, today. Let me go, though, to my next guest, who was on site, by the way, in tune this morning, and he rang me ferociously early. Uh, Deputy Sean Kenny, good morning to you. You were out early this morning. Uh, Deputy Kenny, can you hear me okay there? Don't know where he's gone to, but he, he was he was there a minute ago because we had a quick a quick discussion discussion. So we did, and uh, just don't know where he is. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll try and bring him over here and uh, onto the other side altogether. Put him on hold. Bring him over here. Uh, Sean, can you hear me okay there now? Hello, Keith. Yeah. Thanks, Eddie, for joining us uh, today on the program. Uh, just you were out early this morning because. For as long as I can remem- remember, we're talking about the Grove site in um, Toome, County Galway. But as of uh, 7 o'clock this morning, Paul Carey of Carey Construction has moved on site. And uh, effectively, he has started um, work on a €13 million Euro investment by the HSC. Is that true? That is true, yeah. I suppose this uh, particular uh, project uh, has been in the uh, domain of political life for a long time and a lot of people were involved in trying to get been there for over 20 uh, years uh, uh, Sean so it has it was uh, yeah the bond score was announced in October 2020 that they would be um, uh, pulling out of Toome and at that time there was a push to try and get the HSE uh, to purchase the site which they did and then uh, it has left has been left in the bay since and I must say that uh, a lot of people put a lot of effort in to try and get something done with that site and uh, today, um, this morning, uh, Paul Carey, Carey Developments, uh, he's men are on site and women, and they're uh, putting up the signage site, construction site, and work is commencing. It's, it's fantastic news for, for Toome uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, and I suppose uh, at the time that it's happening, it's even more important, you know. When, when that hoarding comes down in how many years' time that is going to be, what will be behind that hoarding? Well, first of all, you will have the... Uh, uh, mental Health Day Hospital, and you would also have all of the disability services brought under the one roof uh, in the one building. So that from uh, for children who are diagnosed with or, or need air intervention, going on to over six when they go to the next stage of their uh, uh, help in, in, in trying to get help for them, and right up until they're 18, all of them services will be dealt with within the one building so that if you have to be referred from one person to another you just have to go down the corridor to meet the next person so i think that's very important and i know that um this the building from from a, a tune point of view and a north Gola point of view the services are badly needed uh, the services coming together will be brilliant uh, to develop a better and more uh, efficient service uh, it'll be good for staff they will be based in the town uh, it will bring more workers into the town and also it will bring back to life an iconic building where lots of people were born in this building. Uh, it had a maternity unit. It had all of that. And in fact, I was thinking about it this morning. All, all of my siblings, including myself, were, were all born there. And, and you think about it, there's a lot of history in the building. Mm. And to see it come back into, uh, into life again uh, in the centre of the town, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant news for Joan. It really is uh, brilliant news, but it's uh, so today's momentous because uh, the hoarding is going up and the work begins with Carey Construction and Paul and the team from, uh, from there. Uh, what's the build time going to be, do you reckon? 
the bill time, I, w- I would imagine that uh, there's probably about 15 months uh, uh, work in it, and then after that, uh, between fit-out or whatever, you would see the building in operation, hopefully within the next uh, 18 to 24 months. But the, the stage we're at this morning is that uh, uh, there's no turning back. There's no doubt uh, this is happening and, and is real. And I, I remember having Simon Harris down there at one stage when he was Minister for Health and he was opening the primary care centre. And then Finney McGrath, who was Minister for Disabilities, visited the site with me because his mother actually was the midwife in, in the Grove for many, many years. And I think, you know, everything has fallen into place. Uh, the big thing was to get it onto the Capital Works, National Capital Works uh, for the HSC, which that, that did happen about three years ago. And since that, the design has flown ahead. And I would like to thank the HSC technical team, uh, led by Grania Cahill and, and her gang, uh, uh, who have brought it to this stage. Uh, Tony Canavan, Breda Cretton Roach, all the people who are involved in it, and we all work together to make sure that this would happen and would happen for Tune. It's great news. It's great news. And it's a 13 million investment in, 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 in health services, firstly, primarily in health services for Tune and North Galway. It's bringing a, a, an existing iconic building back into use in the town, and it will also provide additional jobs located within the town, which will be permanent jobs, and I think that's important as well. So it is good news for everybody, and we look forward to the construction going ahead, and uh, no doubt about it, uh, it will be a great day, the day that, that it does open to the public. Absolutely, but even in the meantime, I mean, the fact that there's so many uh, specialised trades down there for when they walk up to town for the lunch, and or otherwise it'll give uh, the town a boost as well. Well done, Sean Kenny. Thank you for joining us in relation to the uh, starting work on the old grow site there. It's a €13 million Euro project. Uh, moving forward, Paul Gillen joins me on the line now because we're looking at Men's Mental Health because Men's Mental Health Day starts um, on the 16th of June running right through indeed on Father's Day and Paul joins you on the line. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us uh, Likewise. today. Likewise. Now, you, what you're doing here is you're trying to focus people's minds. So um, you're seeing your person within the Health Promotion and Improvement Office with the HSE. So what we're talking about is fairly simple, but we want people to uh, listen to us uh, this morning. So really what you want men to do is just look at their own health. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, this is an annual thing, Keith, as you know, Men's Health Week starts today, or whatever, and it runs, as you say, right through to Father's Day on Sunday. So unlike that, I mean, there is a mental health kind of a team to it because the, the actual core team of the week is make the connections um, and that's important, I suppose, given the whole COVID experience that we've had over the last 18 months, where kind of, you know, sort of it was hard to maintain social relationships, where people found it hard to meet each other, to talk, um, you, you know, the pubs, the sporting events, post offices, shops, you know, the, where people interacted, you know, and social contacts normally happened, all of that ceased or whatever, despite the fact that we're living in a world of high-tech communications. So what we're saying this week is it is critically important for, for everybody, but we just know that women are very good at they have great social networks. Men tend to have poor social networks and at least the loneliness and isolation and withdrawal and so on. So we're just saying make the connections, reach out there um, and be that, you know, on a personal level, be that with friends, be that with family or whatever, but also in terms of health issues. Mm. Because we all know like that, that if health issues are left unchecked, they become tougher to treat. Can I ask you though, just uh, are you concerned then that during the COVID perhaps that men neglected their health and let stuff go because they couldn't go and visit the GP and it was only a telephone consultation and sure I'll be grand, I'll get over it? 
Do you know what? It, it, there's kind of there's there's probably an element to to that, Keith, which is very true because of the whole social isolation and loneliness or whatever. And once your mental health is impacted or whatever like that, it does impact on your physical health and it impacts on lifestyle behaviours. You know, in terms of even your diet, you know, alcohol, smoking, all that kind of stuff, because we become withdrawn and we don't have the social outlets. So unfortunately, it does, uh, you know, affect us. And similarly, just as you're saying or whatever, we're not able to kind of maybe talk to our GP or access health services freely or as easily as we could have in the past. And unfortunately, I mean, you've seen it with waiting lists now have backed up a little bit or whatever because, you know, the men and, and people couldn't access services. So unfortunately, like that, yeah, things are, are, are things have slided. However, there has been a huge upsurge, as you know, Keith, and you can see it in the number of people who are out cycling, who are out walking, who are out swimming. And, you know, there has been, you know, kind of a bit of a shift there too. But just generally, I mean, I know we're saying for Men's Health Week or whatever that is, there are, if men have health concerns, if they have health issues, now is the time now to begin to kind of pick up the phone, talk to your GP. Because um, e- even if you just look at prostate cancer, as we get older, as men get older, prostate uh, you know, issues become more prevalent for us. One in seven men, unfortunately, do tend to suffer from some type of prostate issue. But like that, the treatment levels now have now got uh, so fantastic that the survival rates are actually really good. good. Back in 1999, there was 30%, 39% survival rate. Now in 2000, sorry, in 2016, that's up to 68%. So even so it's about going and getting. Can I ask you, where's yeah. the best place then, Paul, and we'll talk to you again during the weekend, where's the sure. best place to go um, to get this information? Yeah, there's a very good website there. It's www.mhfi.org. It's the Men's Health Forum of Ireland.org, which are kind of coordinating the, the week nationally, and they have a host of kind of resources and man manuals and literature designed specifically for men and with men in mind, okay. um, and obviously links to support services where kind of men can access kind of supports if they need it. MHFI.org if you want to get further details. Um, Paul Gillen, thank you for joining us and that uh, begins today indeed. Uh, June the 14th, running right through until Father's Day. Father's Day next week, uh, June the 20th as well. We'll be halfway through the year then at that stage, so we will. Where has that half year gone? Let me go though to short-term lets because more and more we're getting calls from people about short-term lets and people trying to get into the wrong house and otherwise. Let me go though to Constantine McNeilis who joins you on the line. He's putting forward uh, a very strong proposal in this regard. Neil, good morning to you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Short-term lets are causing a problem. Yeah, I mean, look, I suppose, Keith, we just got received the Chief Executive's report for June, which will be held on the agenda for tonight's council meeting. And in it, there's a report there uh, from the Chief Executive about short-term lets in the city and how, unfortunately, that the letting regulations um, aren't working for this particular market. Um, it seems that only five um, uh, properties have actually got planning commission and only 50 properties have registered formally with City Council to try and get uh, the permission for the regulations. Um, it's very, very flawed. I mean, the, last, the first four months of the year here, because of the COVID, it was it was quite, you know, around the city centre and so too. But now in the last couple of weeks, I've received numerous calls like yourself. I'm sure you've received them as well, where people are coming into properties. Um, you walk around town at the moment, you see the little lock boxes outside the majority of apartment yeah. blocks. The majority of those are short-term lettings. 
And what's happening is there's a couple of issues. One is that it's pushing people out of the private rental sector. Two is that there's actually zero control in how many house parties are actually happening in these premises. And then the last thing is that you need to have full plan permission for some of these. We know of cases where at the moment that have been investigated that were offices and now have been converted into um, accommodation units. So the fire starts and everything are huge risks with these as well at the moment. Um, so, so what can be done about I, I this then? I mean, if there's, if there's so few registered and so few have planning permission, surely they can be then just shut down? They can't. And again, this is what this is what something that the, the public and I even thought for a long time is that we could actually contact these short-term letting platforms and websites and let them know that, listen, the premises that you're advertising here isn't registered, doesn't have planning permission. Um, it's probably not safe. Um, but again, is there's nothing there to make those uh, platforms take down the properties that they're renting. Um, so what needs to be done is national legislation needs to be looked at. Um, tonight I'm hosting um, um, uh, a meeting on housing where our spokesperson, Senator Rebecca Moynihan, is going to be speaking at it. And Rebecca has been working very hard on this in Dublin. And actually I've been feeding into it all along with her and, and former um, Minister Kevin Humphreys. And what we've been working on is trying to figure out a way that we can get these short-term lighting platforms, first of all, to be able to take down the properties when they've been advertised. Uh, and secondly, then, is to make sure that um, everybody who's actually doing this is registered in the first place. Um, just because it's a, pri- a principal private residence doesn't mean that you should be able to um, just uh, accumulate your 90 days without actually having planning permission. There's a state, everything from right across Nathanacara, city centre, Salt Hill, Renmore, Murphy. I mean, we're talking about residential areas where we've got people actually who are leasing out these houses. There's one famous one in the city centre with a big hot tub in the back of it. Yeah. Every weekend there's a party in it. Um, everybody pools that stays in that house. You could have 10, 15 people staying in that property, pooling 50 euro each into it for per night. It's cheap accommodation. They bring their drink up there and they wreck the residential area. And, and that's what we're talking it's about. It's not fair. And just last weekend, Keith, there was a short-term let house in the Craigon Barna area with five cars parked and parking spaces for residents. Young families have enough trouble trying to get a night's sleep in order to get up early and get on with their normal lives. This should not be allowed in a residential area. Some house owners are pretending that they're staying in the house when that is not the case. So says Anne to the programme uh, today. And that's just one of many calls that have come in, Constable McNeilis there. Yeah, and again, as I, was, I was encourage everybody to actually, um, if they do have a problem, is they have to report. Because again, it's because of the way the legislation is drafted. Who do they report it to? Um, Galway City Council uh, Enforcement Office in the Planning Department. Um, up until now, because of the COVID, there wasn't as much enforcement done because they couldn't physically access the premises when they were sending out the the notices of, of, of to quit and the notices to stop and the enforcement letters. But um, the, the issue here, Kate, is by the time the enforcement letter is issued, by the time the person receives it and responds to it, the season is over. Right? Yeah. And then it ceased. And then it starts all over again. So we're now into the third season where some of these properties are actually being issued enforcement letters. And again, is the, 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 the legislation, the current legislation that's there isn't strong enough. It's only for 90 days. We had looked for 145 days um, in the past. And this is 90 days doesn't work because what's happening as well is that even this week now I've had two people come in to me. They've been renting during the winter and now they've been given notices to quit. Now, thankfully, there are some um, partial eviction bans being put in place. But what's happening is landlords are saying, right, we've had you now. We can actually turn around and put short-term letting in here. And I'd encourage if anybody gets anything like that to go to thresholds because they will be able to tell you your rights. But landlords are out there at the moment asking people to leave so they can win and actually piggyback on the staycation bonanza that we're going to have in the city this year. Um, and I have, I, have a, I have a huge issue with that. And, you know, that we, people have been taking rent all summer, all winter and now they're pushing them out of it as well. And, and you know, you've got the hotel industry 
which is on its knees trying to come back and we have an industry here doing short-term lettings taken away from the hospitality industry. Um, and you know, the FDR paying taxes to a minimum amount, but the, the hospitality industry is, is crippled and needs every bit of support. And having all these short-term nets across the city doesn't help that either. It's a bit like, and you'd remember this, and I have to leave it at this, but once upon a time when we had illegal taxis, we had the legal taxis and then we had the illegal taxis uh, around. And that, with legislation, that was stamped out. So that's what needs to happen here as well. Yeah, it is completely. And I think I think there's an opportunity here now. I mean, look, at, uh, we have a housing crisis. This is actually a way to actually help the housing crisis if we were to regulate this properly. Um, we need student accommodation. This is a way to, to regulate the student accommodation uh, if we were to actually stop some of these short-term rents from happening. Um, and, and again, we can support our, 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 our hospitality industry. That needs to be done as well. So I would be hoping that um, the legislation that's been put, prepared for by the Labour Party at the moment being brought forward will be looked at seriously by the government parties and, ho- and hopefully supported. All right. Uh, Councillor McNeil, thank you for joining us uh, today on the program. So, Minister, how can they join that meeting tonight, by the way? Yeah, it's on my Facebook page, uh, N. McNeil Scoway. On the Facebook page, it's live at 7 pm. N. McNeil Scoway. Uh, yeah, and McNeilis Galway. And Karina Timothy from Threshold will also be joining uh, Senator Rebecca Moynihan at that as well. All right. Um, Councillor McNeilis, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Again, if you do want to report any of these uh, legal activities, and you can do so, uh, to the planning office in Galway on 0915364400. That's 0915364400. And if it's in the county, you can do so on 0915090000. That's 0915090000. Uh, good few calls coming in on this too, by the way, today, where people are just finding it absolutely shocking bad. So it is uh, when it comes to um, what's going on. Keith will be dealing with the uh, Galway City Council planning enforcement since last summer regarding flagrant flouting of planning um, regulations uh, by a licensed premises in the city. I've written correspondence informing me that the premises is flouting regulations and has been advised to adhere. And still the problem um, continues and persists from there. And this caller said, and Keith, in relation to what you're talking about, try living in the city uh, during the summer. It's absolutely impossible. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody with all the noise that's going on. As somebody else is on to us in relation to the canal area, indeed, didn't, got two hours sleep uh, the other night and had to get up for work because of the shenanigans there. Quick commercial break. Let's head towards the news. Join Antoinette for the 11 o'clock news and death notices. Now, Katie has jobs out for us this morning. What have you got for us? Thanks, Keith. The first one is for O'Boyle Electrical, Clare Morris County Mayo. They're looking for second, third and fourth year apprentices and qualified electricians. Must be willing to travel and safe pass is required. You can call Michael on 086-1932563. Therapy Centre Cashla in Costello, Connemara, is looking for a fully qualified Coru registered physiotherapist in part-time. Flexible working hours, email therapycentre.ie at gmail.com or you can call 083-081-8333. O'Loughlin insulation require a cavity wall insulation fitter full-time. Full training will be given to the right candidate. Full clean C1 driving licence required. Must be over 23 years old with fluent English. Must have safe pass and current up-to-date CPC and digital tachograph card. Immediate start based in Currafin and own transport manual handling is required. You can call Pat on 087-90-11909. Cleaners are required for a busy leisure club in Athen Rye. For more information, call Tim Rabbit on 875-300 or you can send your CV to tranquillityleisure at gmail.com. Newtown Kids Club Limited in Abbey Moyer are currently looking to expand their staff team 
about the nursery in the Willows Preschool and After School from individuals qualified from Level 5 to Level 8 in ECCE. You can send your CV to Newtown Kids Club at yahoo.com. The bar in Ishmore, Aran Islands is currently looking for chefs of all grades. Accommodation is provided and excellent rates of pay. You can call Bridie on 87 Galan's Hotel Balanaslower looking for an experienced hotel receptionist to work as part of their team. Candidate will have the ability to work as part of a busy front office team. Good computer skills and the ability to communicate fluently in English are essential for the role. You can email your CV to info at galanshotel.com. McTide Quarries Limited require a full-time panel beater and painter. Experience is essential. You can call 083 55920 for more information. Cleaningmachines.ie have two positions available for a service engineer and an apprentice service engineer based in Clare Galway Corporate Park and servicing their customer base throughout Ireland. A good working knowledge of electrical and mechanical systems is an advantage and a clean driver's licence is a requirement. Full training will be provided. You can apply to jobs at cleaningmachines.ie. Athenite Truck and Refrigeration Centre have the following vacancies. Store person, qualified HGV mechanic and apprentice HGV mechanic. Further details from Rachel on 87 Finally this morning, Prepay Power is recruiting for field sales representatives. Excellent salaries on offer and you can check out prepaypower.ie forward slash careers. Our further details on goldwaybfm.ie. The Galway Bay FM Job Spot in association with TK Car Sales Hedford Road, Galway. A wide range of quality approved cars, Jeeps and commercials for sale. Fully serviced, NCT prepared, with comprehensive warranty, history checks and finance arranged. See tkcars.ie. Now, very good morning. You welcome in to today's programme. The comment lines are open. If you want to get through to them, you can do so. 53995 and WhatsApp is to 0870958968. Keith, people shouldn't have to report, uh, this uh, caller said, uh, people shouldn't have to report uh, short-term letting to the council. If you look at the Airbnb Galway, you can see what's uh, let. Also, other short-term sites as well. What about the revenue commissioners? Wouldn't they be able to collect more by monitoring these sites? Uh, so says Anne, thank you so much for covering this subject, Keith, this caller said. It is a serious issue. Uh, homelessness is an emergency, especially in Galway, and these sites need to be used for that as well. And something else just came, popped up in front of me there, yeah. Um, again, this person has been on to us, and God love them, they've been through the hammers on this one. Um, Keith, this caller said, um, just, I've been uh, dealing with Galway City Council enforcement since last summer regarding flagrant flouting of planning regulations by a licensed premises in the city. I've written correspondence informing uh, them of it, uh, this caller said, and the problem persists. But then what this person has done is half 11 Saturday night last at my back door. This is in spite of me having correspondence with the planning enforcement on numerous occasions. So this is outside this person's back door in the city centre on Saturday night last. even listening to it on the headphones it's, can you imagine that going on it'll half two half three in the morning time that's that's uh, what's happened indeed from that lady uh, from there absolutely shocking from there now um, we've also gotten uh, from let me just go out here and go there uh, from Dara Lachlan indeed we've gotten um, the email in relation to where you can get um, uh, and the various sorry let me just focus on this here if I'm going to drive here 
and pull up this document. I can see it from here then. Uh, so he's given us the, the link uh, in relation to uh, the HSC, which is here. And I'm just going to go into that and then we can give you a list of uh, some of the pharmacies uh, that are actually providing the service. So if you're over 50, you can go to any one of these pharmacies and they're providing a service. And all you have to do is uh, quite simply, uh, I go to Galway on this one here, and uh, you can simply quite just go online and go from there. Many pharmacies are now offering the Janssen single-dose COVID-19 vaccine to people over 50 years of age. So Boots Pharmacy in the retail park in Knocknacarra, Brogan's in Loch Ray, Cullum's Life Pharmacy in Saul Till, uh, Crockwell Pharmacy, Daly's Pharmacy in Gort, Duggan's Pharmacy on the Renmore Road, Dunmore Pharmacy, uh, Flanagan's Total Health Care in Hedford, Flanagan's Total Health Care in Shop Street in Galway, uh, Gleason's uh, in um, Vicker Street in Tune County, Galway. Uh, Go West Pharmacy on Seamus Quirk Road. High Cross Pharmacy in Tune. Um, Home Pharmacy in Galway in Foster Street there. Kinvara Pharmacy in Kinvara. Lavelle's Pharmacy in uh, Dock Road. Uh, Queen's Gate there, which is just on the dock side there, uh, beside uh, the Dental Gate there. Uh, Leahy's Pharmacy in Banlasloe, Leo Walsh Pharmacy in Hedford Road, uh, Lockray Care Plus Pharmacy in Athenry Road, Lockray, McSharry's Pharmacy in the Crescent in Galway, Medwell All Care Pharmacy in Tume Shopping Centre uh, in Tume, and um, Mullins Care Plus Pharmacy in Salt Hill, Quinn's Pharmacy in uh, Georgia Street in Gort, Salt Hill Pharmacy in uh, Galway, Staunton's All Care Pharmacy in Lower Salt Hill, Sweeney's Pharmacy. Uh, in Clare Galway, University Late Night Pharmacy in University Road in Galway. And uh, that's it. They're all there. So again, if you just want to go to hc.ie forward slash apps forward slash services uh, forward slash pharmacies service list dot ASPX or just go to our website. We'll post it up there online. Or if you want and you want to WhatsApp us, we can copy and paste it and just WhatsApp it back out to you again. Anyway, a lovely story has come our way about this conference that's taking place this coming uh, week. And I'm joined by Michael Hegarty indeed, um, who's the Geopark uh, Project Manager for Joy's Country. And Amarine Dubois-Gaffer is the um, Project Geologist as well. But Michael joins me first on the line. Michael, good morning to you. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, today uh, on the programme. Uh, it's an exciting, it's an exciting, morning, it's an exciting time, I have to say as well. Well, it is, um, Keith, it's, it's great. And I suppose, um, you know, with um, people coming out of out of lockdown and businesses uh, opening up, it's um, it's an ideal time to be talking about something that's that's new and exciting. Um, I mean, it would have been <clears throat> would have been great anyway um, had we not had the COVID. But uh, it's even more important now um, because uh, this conference really is is about pre- presenting uh, new ideas and uh, new ways um, and, and new opportunities really for local businesses and 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 indeed the. Uh, the local communities to um, to be more active in business and uh, you know have more jobs, uh, attract um, more people to the area, uh, which is a, a lesser known area. It's um, the top half of covers the top half of Loch uh, Carra uh, through to both sides of Loch Mask and uh, and Loch Carra, uh, and as far north into. Uh, County Mayo as um, Carnacon and, and Bellantaba. and so there's about there's 18 uh, communities, and uh, it just is is a great opportunity for um, 
promoting the area, which is lesser known. It's it's kind of overshadowed to some extent by, say, Connemara, South Connemara, uh, Galway City, and and to the north, uh, Westport is a, a well-known brand as well. So we, we've got villages uh, and small towns that have a lot to offer. We're very close to the Wild Atlantic Way. In fact, we touch it at... Um, Linan at uh, Killary Fjord and um, you know uh, this represents uh, a great opportunity for a loop off the wild Atlantic way yeah. um, and and to attract um, people who are interested in in exploring um, places that are off the beaten track basically I did the loop there oh about I'd say it's three weeks ago three Saturdays ago I did it and it was a beautiful day and it was absolutely stunning it is, and um, <clears throat> I suppose um, what we're trying to do really is to brand it a bit more, and not only that, to tell the stories that are there that most people or many people don't really know about. You know, instead of um, looking out the window of the car or um, if you're on a, a bicycle and, and cycling by or walking, uh, and you say, well, look, that's uh, that, that's lovely. It's fantastic uh, scenery, and uh, the uh, the air is so clean, and and all of that. But not knowing much about um, the landscape that you're looking at, or the lakes, and how they were formed, and so there's 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 wonderful stories there, uh, uh, really. And uh, you know, the, the the stories go back 700 million years. Amrim will tell you a bit more about that. Um, uh, but um, and and how the landscape was shaped. Um, Ireland was in the southern hemisphere. It uh, spent quite a bit of time also in and around the equator, um, which is why we've got a lot of limestone. Um, uh, limestone that, that is okay, not as not as broad and, and uh, um, uh, widespread as, as in the Burren, but there's there's a lot here as yeah. well. And it, so there's you know there's fantastic stories, and and then you've got the cultural side of things, um, the the built heritage. Uh, which is great, really. You know, there's, there's fantastic um, things to have a look at. And so what we've got is a, uh, a lot of detail on our website, um, uh, which which sort of um, opens a window on, on all these communities and, and also the things to do, uh, the, the local businesses that are operating, the food um, uh, opportunities, and, and there will be more growth in, in local food and local regional food. This is a, a, a very important part of, uh, of what a geopark is. So, um, you know, there are fantastic opportunities and people shouldn't be too worried about... Um, being overrun by tourists because we're what we're promoting is slow tourism uh, and trying to attract the um, what Fulcher Island says are the culturally curious and the, and the great escapers to come and, and, and stay in our B&Bs and self-catering and camping grounds and, uh, and and soak it up and yes. you know rather than rather than driving through um, on a, on a kind of a uh, a speed type tourism we, but, we're not interested in that type of tourism really but I actually think that the Michael I think um, that the, the landscape itself will slow you down because you don't want to be an idiot just to, to go through it quickly uh, stay with me if you don't mind I want to go to Amarine who joins me uh, on the line Amarine good morning to you thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme um, as I said to Michael there I I, um, I, tour, I I drove through it three weeks ago indeed last Saturday I, I drove through it and all the colours and the vibrancy, and it just was stunning. 
Yeah, it's a really stunning part of the world and it's great um, to be able to have this geopark here. Um, you know, as, as you said, you were just driving along and you were seeing all of these beautiful colours and it's, it's a great opportunity for people to find out, you know, how this landscape formed and, and the processes that formed it. And the conference that we've got taking place tomorrow on Wednesday is a, is a lovely way to tie these underpinning geology to the culture, to the heritage, and to be able to share this with everyone. I mean, Michael mentioned there's 700 million euro years, uh, sorry, 700 million years in the making. Uh, that's a long time, yeah. so it is. That is, that is a very long time, yes, but it's still not the oldest um, in Ireland. The oldest rocks in Ireland are some 1.8 billion years old. So we're a bit younger than that, but um, our, our story, the reason why our geology is internationally significant is the story of the Iapetus Ocean, mm-hmm. mainly. And it's the story of this ocean that opened and then closed. And you may have heard of uh, the Iapetus Suture, which runs through Ireland. And that's essentially the scar of this um, ocean closing. And, you know, famous stones such as the Connemara marble are linked with this story. And that's all found within our geopark area. And, and stay with me if you don't mind. Michael, what is the, the true definition of a geopark, can I ask you? Yeah, well, it's fairly straightforward, Keith, that, that um, it's a, a, a defined area that uh, has internationally uh, important geology and... Um, so you've, you've got lots of different... There's, there's 170 uh, UNESCO global geoparks across the world now, and um, each one of them is different, uh, of course. Um, and um, the, the, they're in 44 countries, actually. So it's, um, it's a big ticket uh, label to have. Um, some people sort of equate it with the um, World Heritage Sites, but they're yeah. not... They, they have equal status to the World Heritage Sites, but they don't... The important difference is the World Heritage Sites, they come with uh, some restrictions on, on what can be done in, in those areas, but the UNESCO Global Geoparks don't come with any planning restrictions. So um, so that, that's, that's quite a difference. Um, and, uh, you, you know, there's, there's lots of um, geological features here that we've uh, written about on our website, and um, some of these will be talked about during the conference uh, as well. And, um, uh, yeah, so it's, um, you, I mean, the, the type of tourists we're trying to attract uh, to the area you don't have to be into, you know, the, the, the real technical detail, the real academic side of, um, of uh, geology to, to, um, uh, to know and understand and, and, uh, and get benefit and, and enjoy, um, you know, the, the travel around the area. You don't have to be into that, but it, it just does give more context to, when, when, uh, to everyone who's, who's coming. If they want to dip into it, um, if they want to know more what they're looking at, uh, as they walk around, as they go on, um, uh, maybe they're uh, on the lakes um, fishing uh, and they're looking back at the hillsides and the mountains and, and all of that, or if they're kayaking, um, if they're going from place to place to um, uh, taste the food or um, you know the Loch Mask Gin that is along from where I am here in Tumakiri in County Mayo or um, other other distilleries as well um, and other food uh, 
establishments, you know, it just adds to the whole story. So it makes it more interesting for people, for visitors, um, when they come here, really. Listen, well done to you. So where can they get further details uh, on the website uh, to book? Uh, for It's a free event, so it is, Michael. And, it's a free uh, event, Amaria. yeah. So where, yes. do they, where do they go to? If you just go to our website, joycecountrygeoproject.ie, you'll have, um, if you just scroll down the page a bit, you'll, you'll see the, the link uh, uh, to click through to register for our conference. And, um, you know, by registering, and, and you'll have access to, to the talks and you'll be able to access them later on as well. So. Sorry, Michael. And we're, on social, we're on social media as well. So at JCWL Geopark. Uh, or you, if you just um, uh, search uh, Joyce Country, Country, Geo, Geo Country Geopark, that, that will get us, um, and you'll see the booking um, instructions there, uh, reservation instructions. Yeah, so uh, it starts tomorrow, um, nine thirty, and uh, there's um, two sessions tomorrow. They go through to twelve forty-five, and there's another two sessions on Wednesday. So, um, and then in the afternoons. There are um, workshops, pre-recorded workshops, but with a couple of them live as well. Uh, and there's also um, exhibition space for, uh, for the communities in the area and, uh, and also for businesses. So we've, we've got a lot of um, exhibition space has already come in. So, um, yeah, there's lots for everyone, really. Uh, so we'd, we'd recommend dipping in and, and having a look and having a listen. It'd be great. All right, listen, thanks for joining us. Amory, we'll have to get you into studio some morning indeed with some of the, the, the graphics of this as well because you have a great story to tell. Uh, but more importantly, we want them to get involved at the conference uh, tomorrow. So again, uh, Amory, thank you for joining us. And uh, Michael, thank you for joining us. Further details can be had by just Googling Joyce Country Geopark and getting further details there. And that is on tomorrow and Wednesday, but further details can be had there. I can't believe you played a recording and described it as shocking. That person lives in the city centre. What do you expect? Uh, that's what they signed up for. That's a normal noise for any city centre location. Your show has become very petty, picking on minor non-issues. Some people have become too comfortable with the lockdown lifestyle, and you're giving them a platform to keep pushing their agenda. I know you won't read this out, because it opposes that very agenda. And uh, another caller said here to the programme today, uh, Keith, could you please put a call into Galway County Council why the grass is now cut between the Ormore Community Centre and the Galway Clinic on the median line on the carriageway? It looks a disgrace. Uh, would need silage harvesters to cut it now. It's over two foot high. Um, I think, th- did somebody tell me they were leaving it wild just for this year so that the birds and the bees and... The frogs and all that have a free run of it. Well, we all know and we saw what happened uh, during that Denmark game indeed in relation to one of their players getting a cardiac arrest and uh, the trauma that it caused. But I have to say the team members in question were absolutely brilliant just to circle around uh, the man in question as he was getting treatment. And all all has ended well. Well, we have no further update on it uh, today. Um, let me go though to Councillor Alan Cheevers because he has been um, actually pushing for quite some time uh, in relation to defibrillators on sports grounds and his personal um, information in this regard as well. But he joins me on the line today. Councillor Cheevers, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Now, um, you're at pains to say you're not trying to capitalise political points on this one or upset anyone, um, but you do believe that more people should be trained in this regard and that there should be more defibrillators out there. 
Yeah, I certainly do, um, Keith. I think this is. I think this became very much um, highlighted at the weekend. What we saw at the Euros, and I think that it's something that it's so important that we have more defibrillators in sports facilities right across the city and county. I think that you know, quick intervention can save lives, and I think it's it's really important that you know that if there is certain um, funding available there that everybody uh, should avail that, every club should avail that, should I say. And I think that it's important that a split, a split second can make the difference of somebody, um, you know, being kept alive or passing away. So, as I say, this for me is nothing like, um, you know, I'm not trying to use this as political football by any means, but I think it's really important to highlight it. And I think I just want to bring to your attention, Keith, um, you know, the GA did a survey um, there over the last, uh, year or so and according to the survey 42 lives across Ireland were saved by automated external defibrillators located in GA facilities for uh, uh, members of the community and young players that may have collapsed on the pitches or whatever um, and, you know, and quick intervention saved them and I suppose uh, it's very close to my heart just because back in 1991 um, my own first cousin Justin Cheevers and Cropwell there um, was many will remember, and you know, I suppose a lot of people my own age would remember um, that basically what happened was that he was playing a hurling game at 17 in Bandeslow and he collapsed on the pitch from a cardiac arrest. And uh, unfortunately, defibrillators weren't available at the time. And you know, he was right beside Port Junkla Hospital, but that, and even though he was in there within five or ten minutes or whatever the case may be, it still wasn't enough to save his life. So it just shows you the importance of the quick intervention that um, can save somebody's life. So I think that it's important that many sports clubs around the city and county that may not have defibrillators, and they are at a cost, Keith. We can't take that away that, you know, uh, I suppose a standalone defibrillator within a, a, a sports city can cost up to €2,000 and a mobile, a portable um, defibrillator can cost up to €3,000. So yeah. there is a cost. But I mean, we have we have opportunities there. For example, at the moment we have in Galway City Council the Community Enhancement Scheme, and under uh, sports club grants, I think funding could be uh, issued for uh, towards the defibrillator. And you know, there is also other areas there. The GA have a let's say a fundraiser page as well, where they use the clubs is called the um, the Community Heart Program, and that basically has been used by many clubs across the country to raise money for a defibrillator within their sports facilities. So as I say, Keith, it's, it's, it's the intervention, and we saw it at Saturday night with Christian Harrison, the fact that uh, defibrillator was there, I think it was one or two shots of defibrillator got his heart going again. He now he's sitting up in his bed recovering, thank God, and it was because of defibrillator and the quick thinking of the medical team that saved his life. And I think it's important, you know, we all love sport and we all love the weekend sport and the Euros and GA, whatever the case may be. But I think it's important to raise awareness too that these things do happen. And we've seen a lot of it over the last 20 years. You know, young people have very unfortunately have passed away while playing sport uh, because of cardiac arrest. And I think that it's important that, you know, that clubs are given the opportunity to avail of funding that may be available there for them and to fundraise towards getting to the litter to make their sports clubs you know, a, a safe, a safer environment for okay, people playing. Are you, are you saying that there is um, support through Galway City Council to me this morning? Then, under sports grants uh, for some clubs, indeed, uh, to uh, get a, defib- a portable. They're not having a fixed defibrillator, a yeah. portable defibrillator. 
Yeah, well, the community enhanced program is, is is ongoing at the moment, Keith, and it's a it's a, the deadline is June the eighteenth. And I spoke to the coordinator there say, this morning. I sent him a message to ask him uh, for defibrillators: is that funding available? And he thinks that under the sports club grants, that you know that money could be availed of uh, towards the defibrillator for a club. So, as I say, if these um, you know means of funding are available, I think it's important that clubs you know, um, take advantage of that and they say make their clubs a safer environment because I suppose the other side of it as well, Keith, it's not just the actual uh, getting defibrillator, the other part of it as well is obviously you have to get club members to do the training and that comes at a cost as well. So basically, you know, I think it's important that every club has certain allocated members that can have full training in how to use a defibrillator. So if something does happen uh, that there's train people within the, the sports facility to act promptly and to uh, possibly save a life. All right, well, I mean, the likes of Cree are over there and they're wonderful at, at education. That's what they do best and they've been a long time around as well. And so I'm sure that they wouldn't uh, be short of uh, trying to give assistance there as well. Councillor Alan Cheevers, thank you for joining us uh, today on the uh, programme. Let me go to John Middleton who joins me from the Solace Family Resource Centre in Hedford, County Galway because um, they're having a, a, a Men's Health Day, so they are, this coming Wednesday, 16th of uh, June. Uh, starting at 10 o'clock and running right through until after lunch again. But John joins me online too today. John, morning to you. How are you today? Good morning, Keith. Good talk well, to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today. So the Solace Family Resource Centre based in Hedford there, you're having the Men's Health uh, Day. Uh, is this virtual? It is, yes. I, I suppose for many years now during Men's Health Week, we've always had what we called the Men's NCT Health Day. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity for men to come together to the local parish centre and they were able to get their blood pressure tested, they were tested for cholesterol, for diabetes, their hearing was tested, their eyesight was tested, but sadly because of COVID we can't do that. But we're doing the next best thing to it, in that we're having a virtual Men's Health Day. And it'll be a great opportunity for men to get good, solid information on how best to look after their health. Uh, we begin on Wednesday at 10am, and it will be a session surrounding mental health. And we're joined by a special guest who will be well known to uh, Connacht rugby fans, Ronan Lockley. Ronan will be given his perspective on men's mental health issues. And he'll be joined by Nicola Morley from Mental Health Ireland. And she'll be sharing with us five simple actions we can all take to protect our mental health and maintain positive well-being. We then move on to uh, 11 o'clock and we have the Marie Keating Foundation team. And they'll be talking to us about the signs and symptoms of the most common cancers associated with men, mainly, I suppose, around prostate cancer and also skin cancer. And that leads us on to a group we just mentioned, Cree. And the Cree team will be talking us about how best we can look after our heart health and maybe the lifestyle change we need and behaviour change. And that leads us up then to the final session at 1 o'clock where the team from Sexual Health West will talk to us about efforts to raise awareness around HIV, AIDS and STI issues. Mm-hmm. Now it's a free event and in order to get the link that will allow you to come on to the event, all you have to do is email info at solacefrc.ie or you can go to our website which is www.solacefrc.ie and the whole programme for the day is outlined there. Okay, give me that again. That, that, uh, so www. For, for the, to get the link, yeah. to get the link, you just email info 
at solusfrc.ie and you'll automatically get the link. But in order to get more information, if you go to our website, and it's www.solusfrc.ie. Okay, so www.solusfrc.ie for further details from there. Do you reckon Uh, will you get many people signing up because it's virtual? Well, we're hoping. We're going to try it and say normally we'd have it in the hall and it was very different. But rather than let, let it go amiss this year, I think it's good that we do something. And at least men will be getting good, solid information on how best to look after their health. Yeah. No, it's very, I mean, I know that the, the I certainly know the one um, in person, um, the, the non-virtual one, has always been a huge success for you there. Oh, great, great. Huge and success. And it's great fun as well, you know, men coming together. Because men, sadly, they're very slow to look after themselves. They always wait until it's nearly too late. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to get solid information and advice and how best to look after yourself. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing because we were speaking earlier on with uh, Paul Gill indeed uh, in relation to men's health as well. And it's, it's all, it's all uh, Paul Gillen, but it's all about indeed just focusing, focusing, focusing. And again, if they want to get further details on this one, they can go to uh, the website, which is www.solacefrc.ie. And it's taking place this coming Wednesday, starting at 10 o'clock and finishing around, what, around 2 o'clock, is it? Around 2 o'clock. And again, people are free to come into any session they want. They don't have to go to the four sessions. Sorry, they're very welcome to the four sessions. But they can come in, stay for a while and go off again. I suppose the beauty of online is that people from all over the county can join us, you know, or even all the whole country, the whole world. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they'll be more than welcome. <laughs> You'll take them from anywhere, says you. Well, thanks, certainly. Thanks, certainly. for joining us uh, today. John Middleton joining us there from uh, Solace in Hedford, the Solace Family Resource Centre in Hedford. Further details on that, info at solacefrc.ie or more information on www.solacefrc.ie. <laughs> Welcome back into today's uh, programme. The comment lines are open if you want to get through to us on 091-770-0077-53995. Now let me go to Fergal McGraw who joins me from the uh, Town Hall in Galway and he joins me on the line because they had the wonderful Sean Kane, as you heard on Friday's programme uh, performing there over the weekend and they're looking ahead indeed to Johnny Doohan who will be joining us uh, later in the week as well. Fergal, morning to you. Morning Keith. How did the whole weekend go? Oh, uh, it was great. Uh, Saturday night was the first time we've had a, an audience in here in the town hall for a live event uh, since last September, early October. So it's been almost nine months. And, um, you know, we've been busy online over the last nine months. Uh, we've been particularly busy in recent months pre-recording live acts and then streaming it subsequently. But uh, there's nothing like having... Uh, someone of the calibre Sean Kane live on stage and albeit only 50 but we, to have a live audience sitting in front of it and enjoying it. The atmosphere must have been electric. It was, yeah. I mean, you know, people are socially distanced so uh, there's, as Sean remarked during the gig there's, you know, there's two metres between every couple or every group or whatever and the gig, you know, we don't have the bar, it's limited duration of 70 minutes and no intervals so we do all those things and people continue to wear their masks throughout the performance so we you know we continue to do all those things to keep everybody safe but it was it was really lovely because you know last September when we were doing all that we were all that little bit anxious but uh, people are obviously so used to you know being careful for themselves and for others and basically following the guidelines to keep them and others safe so people were quite relaxed. Uh, they enjoyed the show. Uh, 
um, they were singing under the masks. Uh, Sean was enjoying that. So it, it was a lovely event. The, Sean and the lads were in great form and they were, you could see they were taking the buzz from the auditorium and they were, like Sean was saying, it's the first time in nine months since he's played to a, a live audience and it was, there's nothing like it. No, because it's a, he he because he thrives because the interaction between Sean Kane and and most most artists as well, um, between the artist and the audience is what really what makes the performance. Yeah, and you know, Keith, that there are you know there are so many dimensions to live performance that we don't think about. But last week we had a band in uh, Soda ba- Soda Blonde who were recording for a stream which out on, went out on Thursday night. And they were saying to be on stage with the full gear, to have the crew setting them up, to have monitors giving them feedback. And even though there wasn't a live audience in for that particular event, just to be on a full-sized stage, uh, for them, it was just uh, an amazing experience. And it was like, it was giving them a taste of hopefully what will come in the next few months as we emerge from the current restrictions. You know, like I'm actually part of a, a government uh, live entertainment working group and we're trying to assist the minister and the department to publish and to get out their guidelines which will enable live performances to take place both indoors and outdoors on, on an increasing scale in the coming months. So we're open and we're effectively like a pilot event with just 50 people in, you know, 10% capacity, less than, uh, less than 10% capacity here or just over 10% capacity here. And that hopefully will build uh, that's the level we have for July. It may build in August and hopefully by September, October, when the vast majority of the population are vaccinated, we can look to a more significant levels of audiences in. And with an ambition, you know, before year end to be back to, to normal or as close to normal as we can. I suppose we've learned a lot from it. I mean, the social distancing and the wearing of the mask and all that seems to have... Uh Helped, helped greatly. So it has. We should have done it earlier. Maybe wearing the mask. But we didn't. We were about six months into it, and we did. But that, let's not look back. Let's look forward. So wouldn't it be lovely to have four hundred nine people sitting on seats there uh, by the end of this year? So you think that could be a reality, Fergal? Well, that you know, obviously uh, we were we're all being cautious, and obviously this will be a phased return to normality, and. We're working with the department and the industry to see, you know, how we can move that forward at all times, taking public health advice. So we're obviously still guided, the department is still guided by NEFIT and the chief medical officer and the pilot events last week for music and sport and increasingly in the next few weeks as the number at the outdoor events, you know, is allowed to increase. So if you're looking at 25 or 30,000 people in Crow Park for All-Ireland Finals in, in September, you'd hope uh, we'd be at 25, 30, maybe up to 50% by September, October, and possibly more. So um, we work with the department. We know there's an appetite. People want to come back. You know, like we had just 50 people in for Sean Kane on Saturday night, but there were multiples of that watching online and from all around the world. And it's like it's really engaged us with people who are living the the Galway diaspora or the Sean Kane fan club, who are across the globe. Keep the, yeah. the emails from Australia, North America. It's like it's 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 highlighting to us the reach we now have. So I think 
when we get to the other side of COVID, obviously live performance is where it's at, but we intend to continue to add the additional dimension, the additional option if people want to watch from their home or from overseas that they can see what's happening live in Galway uh, on their phones or on their PC or laptop. And did you have many from outside the country on Saturday night for Sean's? Yeah, well, well we had multiples uh, of the live audience here and, you know, there'd be a small percentage of that would be from outside the country but uh, previously I think the, the biggest highest overseas dimension we had our biggest higher overseas audience we had for an event here was when we streamed Mary Coughlin and uh, she has a massive reach around the globe like uh, and even with Sean Kane when we announced that the first inquiries were you know could people watch it after the event because of their time clock situation yeah. you know they're obviously in a different time zone so people in America you know they're five years ahead uh, five, <laughs> five hours ahead or behind uh, so, yeah, it's gas to be alerted to people in the different time zones who are watching. And so as, as a result of those inquiries, we've left the stream up for up to 72 hours. So if people want to see the show uh, online, they can still do that. But just looking on our website or giving the box office a ring if there's any issue, 569-777. And that will be similar for our next live event on the 3rd of July, which is with Johnny Doon, Frankie Gavin and Martin O'Connor. And again, at the moment, it looks like we'll be allowed to have 50 people. It may have relaxed somewhat, we don't know, but we'll have at least 50 people in the house and then we'll stream it live as well. And there's nothing like um, that kind of live audience feel, yeah. but watching it live as well is can be equally uh, entertaining. Can I ask you just very briefly, the THT.ie, where, where you've parked for 72 hours, is there a charge for that, uh, Fergal? Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously, the reason we're streaming is we're we're trying to tra- generate revenue for the artists. Yeah. So uh, they can buy it. You know, it's uh, off the top. It's like fifteen euros to watch it online, and if there's a household, twenty euros. And it's actually it's interesting to see because we we developed that model in recent months by working with the Abbey Druid and the Gate, where people can watch it live or they can watch it on demand. And there's an increasing trend to having that option to watch it on demand. And people, we, we have like the honesty policy where sometimes people were emailing us saying, well, there's several of us want to watch it from our laptop in the sitting room. Is that okay or how can we contribute? And we say, well, 15 if you're on your own and if there's a group, sure, give us 20. Yeah. And they've been doing that. And so much of that, most of that revenue has been pushed to the artist. So it's an interesting way of us helping artists uh, one, get back into live performance and two, generate additional streams of income and probably three, generate audiences overseas that they mightn't have reached ever or that they certainly haven't been able to reach since COVID hit because they haven't been able to leave the country. All right, listen, thanks indeed for that. Uh, Fergal McGrath, 0916977 for further details. Hi Keith, I was in Kavar last Sunday, there was music playing on the pier. I had nowhere to sit and I had a sore back, so I sat on a large stone, not very comfortable. Then a man came over to me with a chair. He was staying in a camper van on the pier. Just wanted to thank him publicly. His name is Paddy, and thank you for that. Katie produced uh, today. She won't have got your comments from you. Really Keith Finnegan. We'll be joining you live from Studio One tomorrow morning, just after the 9 o'clock news. Have a good and a safe Monday. Enjoy the rest of the day. Bye-bye now.